that's kind of on the down low right now, but um, she knows about it. She's seen the car. She's had a hand in everything like she always does. Um, so hopefully that deal happens. I I'm hoping we get the car here before PRI. So. Okay, cool. So I met, I don't even remember really how we connected. I guess Facebook and then I went to lunch with him and Audrey last year at PRI. So we met for the first time last year at PRI. And then over Memorial Day, we all met over in Iowa, near Burlington, Iowa, and watched McKinnahassee race. So I've actually met them all, which is kind of cool, just like meeting you. You feel like you really know the person after you've met them. So Gabe is one of our um, partners on the IWMA, so that's cool too. And um, he's, he owns his own business, so he's able to listen and be part of it. So I want him to join in and ask questions because he's got a young gal who is probably going to want to do something in motorsports someday. And, and so she, what we're going to talk about today is how you got started. Why, why is a young, pretty gal like you interested in being on a motorsports team? So um, I've, I'm going to record it. And if for any reason my phone rings, which I've got it turned off, but I have a house phone. Just different stuff. I can edit it out, so don't get excited. If something happens, we can edit edit things out. Yeah, I've got both my cats kind of running free. Hopefully, they keep distance, but they usually climb on top of counters when I'm okay. doing stuff. So no problem with that. That's no big deal. We don't care. It's it's uh, it's totally fine. So um, we're just gonna chat, and really, I'm gonna let you talk the most, Liz. Uh, you know, I might ask some questions here and there, and Gabe, if you wanna ask some questions you can but I'm just gonna kind of officially start the recording here in just a second so good afternoon everyone for those of you that couldn't be with us live today um, we are here with Liz Pristella Liz is the tire specialist for the Chris Buescher NASCAR team I met Liz probably about a year ago on Facebook I came across her name and what she was doing. I reached out to her. We did a story about her in one of our magazines. I've uh, caught up with her at pretty much every NASCAR race I've been to in the last year just to say hello and, and stay in contact with her. She also has founded the Tort Clothing Company, and I'm excited for her to tell us about that because she's definitely an entrepreneur as well as interested in motorsports. And so, Liz, welcome to the Motorsports Masterclass Series. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you on. So, Liz, I'm going to let you do most of the talking. I'm going to just kind of prompt you some questions, but I want you to tell us your story. So, tell us, um, how did you get started loving motorsports? And, you know, just tell us your journey from the beginning to where you are today. It started mostly with my dad and my grandpa being very into cars, and I spent a lot of time with my dad because I've got two older sisters, so my mom kind of split time between us when it came to sports, so if she was off coaching one of my sisters, then I would be hanging out with my dad, so we kind of balanced that out because she coached all three of us throughout my whole life playing soccer, and just spending time with my dad, I turned into a daddy's girl. He's got three daughters and no sons, so when I started liking cars, I kind of took on to that side of things. Okay. As I got older, I just was more interested in cars. I liked looking at them. And when I started getting to the point where I was going to drive, I told them I wanted to take auto shop, learn how to work on the cars, because 
if I'm driving, I want to be able to change my own tire. I want to change my own oil. I don't want to be stuck on the side of the road and not know what to do. And once I started working in auto shop, I fell in love with just the mechanics of the cars. Originally, I wanted to get into electronics because I loved how they all worked. But once I started learning the mechanics of stuff, I was more drawn to the mechanical aspects. I love taking things apart. I got in trouble a lot as a kid taking apart my toys and trying to see how they worked. And it just kind of grew from there. So throughout high school, I got more and more into cars. My first race I went to, I was 12. And my parents took me, both my sisters, down to L.A. and we went to Fontana. And we took the train to the track. And I remember that weekend so vividly because I remember walking the track and just being overwhelmed with just being at the track. Because we had watched it on TV my whole life, but then I actually got to go to a race and I instantly fell in love with it. So every year we went to two to three races whenever we could when they were out on the West Coast. Yeah, that's, you know, it's just like football or anything. It's one thing to watch it on TV, but when you're there and you smell the smells and you can see the people and interact and, and hear the engines for yourself, there's nothing like it is there, Liz. It's, it gets in your blood. Yeah, it's definitely an addiction because you, it's just such a different environment. Most people say, oh, racing's boring, but then they go to the track and they're like, I didn't know it was like this. Like, they're blown away just being at the track. Like, with Kroger as one of our sponsors, we get a lot of their corporate people that come to the race every weekend. They don't know anything about racing. And it's like, by the end of the weekend, they're just fascinated by everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it takes them out of their element. And, you know, I think sometimes racing's kind of looked down on as a sport, or it has in the past. And now I think once more and more people are experiencing it, that, if, you know, they, you hear, oh, racing's dying. I disagree. I was just at Phoenix. You know, I saw you there. And um, it, was, it was not dying in Phoenix, was it? It was a busy no. weekend. It was packed. So, yeah, I, I love seeing new people being introduced to the sport. And, and that's a great way to do it because you're sponsors. So... How did you get then from a 12-year-old girl at a racetrack for the first time, you're working on cars in high school, then what did you have to do in order to work your way into being now, you're a, you're a NASCAR tire specialist, that's a pretty cool job. I know you work hard, I've seen you on some of the hottest days of the year. You work long hours, but you love it, don't you? Yes, I don't know what else I would be doing with my life. I just love being able to go to work and enjoy what I do. And that's how a lot of people in the garage are. They don't know what else they would do because they love their job. Like, yeah, there's stressful days, but in the end, we all love what we do. That's why we put in the 15-hour days, put in the 20-hour days, work out in 120-degree heat. Yeah. I saw you in the 120-degree heat in Chicago. And uh, it, was it awesome. wasn't even just one day, was it? It was all, the whole time we were there. It was, it was absolutely miserable. And I, I can't even imagine, you're a lot younger than me, you deal with the heat better, but still, it's exhausting. But, you know, even when um, you showed, uh, you took Jeremy and TK and I around the one day and showed us the hauler and different things, and it just showed on your face, it's like you light up when you're explaining what you do and sharing it. So um, what kind of classes or what kind of education did you have to have to get to be a tire specialist? I did all of auto shop through high school. I took it for four years. My senior year, I actually had two auto shop classes because that was all I wanted to do. 
And from there, I moved from California to North Carolina about three months after I turned 18. All by myself. My family is all still in California. I don't have any family on this coast. And I started at a vocational school. I started at the Universal Technical Institute. I took their automotive program. Then I took their NASCAR, like, extra program. And that taught me the fundamentals. It taught me how to fabricate. taught me some of the basics that I needed to know. And from there, I had a hard time initially getting into the sport because in NASCAR, it's more who you know, not what you know. So you kind of have to start at the bottom as an intern, work your way up. So before I could get to that internship, I was a service advisor at a dealership. I changed oil. I just did general mechanic stuff for about three years. Then I finally was able to get an internship with Jennifer Joe Cobb on the truck side. I interned with her for about two months, learned as much as I could, and then she brought me on full-time as just an interior mechanic, general mechanic, and I worked with her for about a year and a half. And then due to some budget cuts, I went on to be more of a tire changer focus with Excalibur Pit School, and I focused mostly on changing tires. And through that, I got connected with Derek Cope because his shop's attached to Excalibur. It was at the time. And he knew me as a mechanic because I'd helped him a couple other times. So he had me just going on the weekends to help him and changing tires. And at the time, he was partnered with Jay Robinson. And Jay was like, well, can you come pit our cup car? Because Jay had been pitting with me on the Xfinity stuff. So from there, it kind of grew to, all right, I go over with Jay. And then Jay was like, well, can you come work weekends with me? Because I need another mechanic. And when they brought me over, they're like, well, we need someone to do tires. Can you learn? Because I had prior just done interiors and I'd been a suspension mechanic. So I had never done tires before I got to the cup side. And I was like, well, sure, you know, I'll learn. I can learn anything. And I just started out at the bottom. Joni Imacek was our driver at the time. I learned as much as I possibly could. And it was one of those, I'm just like, all right, let's see where this goes. And I was changing tires full-time for Jay. So I was doing every cup race. I was changing tires in the Xfinity side, and then I was doing I was changing tires in the truck side. So in one year, I was changing tires in like 80, 90 different races. Wow. So it was a very busy year, but it was my way of trying to get to know everyone. I networked a lot. And the next season, uh, Tommy Baldwin needed a tire person, and he was really good friends with Jay. They're still currently partnered. And he went up to Jay like, out of nowhere, him and Jay were having a conversation. I go to ask Jay a question. Tommy's like, so I just asked Jay if I can hire you, so let me know what you say. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I just walked up, and they're like, yeah, we're discussing if you're going to go over there or not. Oh, cool. So it's about your education because you did a good job of making sure you had that base of education, and you were willing to learn and be trained, and, yeah. and you didn't start at the top. I mean, I think I talk to a lot of young girls and obviously they want to be NASCAR driver or world about law, you know, whatever it is. But, um, first of all, the drivers are such a small percentage of all the girls I talk to, you know? Yeah. And so I think that realistically it's great to want to be a great driver and they should definitely go for it. But they also maybe would want to learn mechanics. You know, don't just um, be the driver. Get out in the garage with your dad, your whoever um, is working on your car. Learn as much as you can, as early as you can, wouldn't you think? Because I think the younger you start out there um, working on cars, what if you had started working when you were eight years old? Just think of all the things you would have learned sooner. And so... 
you know, I, I encourage, that's why we're doing this class is because I encourage girls to think outside of just being the driver. If you end up being the NASCAR driver, hallelujah, we need some women up there. But if not, you're going to need something to fall back to and still be involved in the sport. So you're involved a lot. You know a lot of people. Could you tell me some other, what are some other jobs that women would be especially good at? I mean, it's not that they couldn't do anything, but what are some things that you see right now that women are doing in motorsports? We do have a lot of women engineers. We also have Alba. She used to run the Chevy program for on the NASCAR side. Now she's over at Hendrick, and she's been in racing for 20-some years. She's got a strong engineering background. She helps develop a lot of the stuff with Chevy. We've got several different mechanical engineers. We've got Andrea Mueller. She's a head engineer for the 12 of Ryan Blaney, and the, she's been told that she's probably going to be the first female crew chief. She's just genius. She came from NASA. So there's a lot of different engineering sides. And if they aren't much on the engineering, there's still the mechanical aspects. You can do interiors. Like tires is harder for women because the tires do weigh 65 pounds a piece. So you have to be in shape and make sure that you physically can do the job. There's also decaling. Wraps and decals take a lot of patience and a lot of focus you can't just slap them on there and hope for the best because they've wrinkled those wraps are usually like six pieces wraps an entire car so it can be a 20-foot stretch of vinyl yeah so that's <laughs> one thing that some women can do that don't want to be more on the mechanical side and then there's a lot in the marketing and the kind of overseeing and the organizational side of it because you have to be organized to be able to micromanage 200 to 300 employees so there's a big variety of things, but the main ones is always the engineering, the decaling, and there's some mechanical aspects, like underneath it's really hard for a woman because those gears are heavy, the transmissions are heavy. It's not something that's easy. Like, I couldn't do it if I, no matter how much I worked out, it's a really hard job to do just because my body's not built to be picking a gear up over my head. Right. But again, there's so many things. NASCAR is a business. So every NASCAR team is a business, and every business needs um, secretaries, administrative assistants. They need people to plan the travel. You know, yeah. think of um, all the times that you travel. Somebody's planning that, right? You don't yeah. book your own flight. So every team has at least two travel people because right. it can get a little overwhelming. We have ten to fifteen rooms a weekend that plus rental cars, plus making sure we all are on the right plane. Cause we fly private. So they have to make sure the manifest is correct every week. They have to send it to them every week. And there's a lot of little minor details. Like if someone wants to go to a track early, they have to plan it out two to three weeks ahead of time because we have to make sure that there's a seat on the plane for them going out. They have a way to get around and there's a seat on the plane for them to come home. Right. So those are things that most people don't even think about. So if you're a person that loves motorsports and you are interested in the travel industry, it would be a great fit because you understand, yes. you understand motorsports and you love it and you also love travel. So, so many opportunities, I think, that, that women and girls just don't even think about. I mean, you know, I, when my son raced, I never thought about, and we're talking short track, small town racing, right? not NASCAR. Mm -hmm. And I would, and I would go to the track and sit down and watch the races and go home and 
I knew they were working in the shop every night, you know, but you just don't think about it. And yeah. then I started going to the pits before the races. And, you know, they go at noon and all the things they do, just, I'm talking again, just a short track race at Kalamazoo Speedway. One night, all the work that goes into just that race and the expense. Yeah. Now you're going you're gonna to take a, an Xfinity team or even an ARCA team or a NASCAR team and you're going to multiply that by hundreds, right? Yes. Hundreds of <laughs> thousands. Hundreds and thousands. Yeah. Because they work all year round on the car. They fix the car. They redo the car. I know you showed us the backup car. It also has to be wrapped every yes. week. I never thought about that till you told us. You know, yeah, with us, we change paint schemes almost every week because we have a variety of sponsors. So ours gets wrapped every single week. The 47 has a more consistent paint scheme. So they just don't have quarter panel stickers on their cars. So their backup cars just blank base paint scheme. So theirs usually will stay on there all year. But since we change ours so much every week, Monday morning, they rip the wrap off the car. And by Tuesday, a new wrap's getting put on it. Right. And so about, do you know how many people does it take to actually do the wrap? You couldn't do it by yourself with a 20-foot length of wrap. We have one guy that does it by himself, but he'll get assistance from us to do the initial stick, but he pretty much installs it on his own. Some teams use two to three guys. It just depends on how much work he has to do, if he's got a helper, because we have one guy that we contract in that does all of our wraps. Okay. And he pretty much he has a routine down where he can wrap three to four cars in one day. Wow. That's and a lot. Usually he'll just have one person kind of help him position the decal and then he'll do the rest from there. Okay. Cause I've seen him wrap cars and that, like you said, so easy to get a wrinkle in it. And then you're like, yes. Oh man, now what do I do? Right? Yeah. So and we use a lighter vinyl now that's wrinkles a lot easier. We tested it out this past year and it saves about a pound on the wrap, oh. but it's, very touchy like you have to be careful how you're putting it on it wrinkles easily you have to make sure that the surface is completely clean okay just like when you get your <laughs> you get your little license plates tab and you got to put it on your car and it doesn't stick if it's not clean imagine a whole car yeah. like that yeah exactly so liz what's your favorite thing about your job and what's your least favorite thing my favorite thing about my job is getting interact with the fans and com just the competition level and just interacting with the people I work with in the garage. Like with tire people, we're a little bit different because we all are out in the elements. We all work in, they call it the tire pile. And that's where all of us work because you'll walk by and you'll see hundreds of stacks of tires mm -hmm. and we're all in the middle of all that working. So that's, I think the tire union is what we call ourselves and everyone nicknames us is my, one of my more favorite parts because we all have each other's back and it's a different environment. Like people say, Oh, you guys just work around each other. It's different. But if one of us needs help, everyone will drop whatever to come over no matter what team we work on. And that's just something that's different that most people don't experience. Right. And then being able to interact with the fans and see the little kids faces light up. I always love when the little kids come up to me asking for something because they're just so excited to be at the track and get to experience it. And I saw a couple of little girls in Phoenix that with the way that the new garages are able to interact a little bit more with us. And there was one that she waited like the entire practice until I was done working just to get my autograph and say hi to me. Oh. So how cool is that? I, I tell you, 
I, I've been to um, Charlotte, Chicago, Michigan, several times to Phoenix. Seems like there's another one. Anyway, the Phoenix garage experience for the fans, like none other. It's absolutely the best. Would you agree? I like how the interaction is. I think they still need to tweak it a little bit, just like how when they redid Richmond, we have to push a really far away around the track to go through tech. And yeah. when they design that, they don't necessarily think about that. But we pretty much had to push from where the start-finish line was in our garage all the way about halfway down the back stretch to the end of the building okay. and then go back out and push up to the front stretch. So it was it was a lot of pushing, and there wasn't a lot of cut-throughs for us to go get our equipment. So yeah. if we had to get something in tech, we had to hope someone around us had it, and not everyone did, or you'd have to go running back to the garage. So they still need to tweak a little bit on it, but they did the same thing at Richmond. When we went in the spring, they had the new garage, but they didn't have a cut-through for us to even push the cars. So we literally had to push from one end of the track, down the front stretch, all the way to the other end, and then back in the garage. And it's just, it's really hard on us because those are 3,500-pound cars. Right. We're pushing them, four or five people are pushing them around a track. It doesn't yeah. matter how smooth that thing rolls. It's still a heavy car. Absolutely. It's still pushing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, some of that, some of that. I See, that's part of it I wouldn't have seen. I, I saw where they had the nice area in the shade, which is good because Phoenix gets hot. I've been there when it was yeah. 100 degrees at a race. But it was shaded. They could walk right up and stand at that, like, fence thing and, and look right in and watch what you're doing. And like you said, the fact that little girl stood there all that time, she was watching what you were doing. What an impact you must have had on her that she stood there and wanted your autograph. That has to make you feel good. Yeah, it does. And I'm a fan of them incorporating that more into the designs because a lot of tracks are going to start redesigning that way. It's just a slow process, but like Phoenix, our garage was so tiny before that we all hated that garage stall because it you could barely fit two cars into your stalls without running into each other, bumping each other. So when they redid it, we were excited that they were making them bigger too. Absolutely. So it's like it makes it a lot more fan-oriented because those other garages, the fans couldn't go anywhere near it because it was just such tight spaces that it wasn't safe for a fan to get anywhere near the cars. Right, right. And it just it – just even the fan experience in the fan zone, which I don't even know if you got to see that much, but the fan zone, it, best one I've seen, you know, um, the yeah. shade, the furniture, the food, everything was geared towards the fans. The tracks are getting it right. Yes, you've got to gear towards those teams, make it convenient for you to push those cars. They got to figure that out. But if those fans don't have a reason to come, they want to see more than a race, don't they, nowadays? They want yeah. an experience. They want a concert. They want to be able to get up close to the drivers and all those things. And I think these tracks are figuring that out, that they've got to provide more than just a race. And yeah. that, I thought Phoenix did a fabulous job with that. It was a little weird having a new configuration because, like, the driver was out there. He's like, turn one. Wait, I, I think that was turn one. I don't know. Whichever one's on the end where the tunnel is, that's the one I was having problems with. So it's like the drivers were trying to figure out because they changed the turns to the opposite direction. So it's like we're all looking at the maps before we get to track. We're like, all right, what's turn one? What's the new one? What's the old one? Like we were yeah, just trying to figure out where everything was. Right, because they moved the start-finish line. Yeah, and they um, moved all the pit boxes too. So it's like what used yeah. to be pit stall one was now like pit stall 20. Right. 
And, but the smart thing they did was they moved the, the grandstands to where now they're in the shade, mostly in the shade. Because again, I was there, I was there in March a year ago, maybe two years this March. It was like uh, almost a hundred degrees in March. They were having an unusual heat wave. It was too hot to sit in the sun to watch the race, you know? And so mm -hmm. they didn't have a big crowd that day. They've gotten smarter about all of that. So good, good information as far as like, I wouldn't have thought about how far you had to push the car or the cart because you pushed the cart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because you, we were able to go with you that one day to push the cart out. Um, yeah. So NASCAR probably needs to talk to some of you guys that are actually in there doing the work to see yeah. maybe some input on the future tracks or maybe they'll fix that. So yeah, they had um, made some changes before we had got there because they had tested there a couple of weeks prior. And when they tested, some of the teams were like, hey, you might want to change this before you got 40 of us sitting in here. You know, we can't, we got to be able to get in and out. And so they made a couple changes before we even got there just based on testing there. Okay, good. Yeah. And then after you've all been there, you know, you're going to have some input too, I'm sure. Yeah. On, you know, just all the little things where how far do you have to go to the bathrooms all that kind of stuff it's important on race day when yes. all those people are around yeah absolutely so tell me what is your you've been to all the tracks lots of tracks do you have a favorite track and why i don't know if i necessarily have a favorite i like certain ones for certain reasons like i like homestead because it's the end of the year and it's more of a relaxed environment everyone's kind of a little bit better mood because we know we're getting ready to all get a vacation yeah. And by that point in the year, we've been going since Valentine's Day, so we're all ready for a week of not having to do anything. Yeah. And I like Daytona just because it's such a different environment. Sometimes the garages are inconvenient, though, because there's no cut through to get from the front stretch to the back half of the garages unless you go all the way down to the end. Just because it's designed with that fan experience, and you can't take equipment through the fan experience. Right. So it's like, depending on where a garage stall is, I like Daytona. I just don't like walking all the way around the garage every time I need something. Yeah. And like, I like Dover track? because it's got the horse track. So there's different things. Okay. All right. Every track kind of has its pluses and minuses. Same as yes. for the drivers. You know, every driver has a favorite track that they run well on or one that they never do well on. And so I think everybody that goes has a reason why they, why they like that. Was there any... Yeah. Any one weekend this year that stands out to you as far as maybe something special that happened or you really had a good finish or, you know, things just really seem to click or, or anything, does anything stand out to you about this year? We've had a couple really good runs and like the first Kansas, we ran really good. We ran strong. And then like the second Daytona, we ran really strong. So we ran strong in the first Daytona as well. We finished sixth in the first one at the 500. So it's depending on how we run kind of judges how our weekend goes. If we're running really good in the race, we have a great finish. The morale's a lot better. But when it's been a hard fought race, making a lot of adjustments or all over the place, if they were yelling in my ear for 18 different air pressure changes, it's not necessarily a good weekend. No, no. So why don't you explain a little bit? I know you explained to me and Jeremy and TK, but why don't you explain a little bit more about what exactly do you do as a tire specialist? 
I pretty much handle everything involving the tires throughout the entire year. So, like, right now during the off-season, I handle the toolboxes, the pit boxes, kind of fixing them up, getting them ready. Whatever problems we had last year, we're fixing them now. We're redesigning some things. And I'll also be going to Champion here in a couple weeks. Champion stores and handles all of our wheels for us. And I'll be spending about two days down there changing out valve stems and the wheels because we have double stem and single stem. And when we buy new double stems, we convert our old ones to single stems just to keep our inventory fresh. Because the more miles you've done the wheel, the higher chance of something breaking on it and there being a failure. So I kind of throughout the year, I do different things involving the wheels and going to champion. I handle all the set of tires at our shop. So I make sure my guys have the right set of tires. They've got the right info they need for compounds. Like our engineers come to me, hey, what's this tire compound? You know, what's the rollout on it? What's the info you got on this tire? Or let me know what a similar one is because this one's too new. It's not in our system. Because our sim program has the tire compounds based in it, so they can kind of set it up based on what the tire should do. And when we get new compounds, there isn't necessarily that file in there yet, so they'll be like, all right, what's as close as you can get to it so I can get an accurate setup for it? And where and do you get that way, information? Like, who gives you that? from Goodyear. Okay. Okay. Goodyear gives us what tires are similar but when it comes to the sim programs, like we run a Hendrick based sim because we have a Hendrick Alliance. So Hendrick gets their data from Pratt and Miller from testing themselves because Hendrick is one of the tire test teams. There's only about seven teams that get to do tire tests and it's based on points at the end of the year. It's the top 20 in points. Those teams are selected to do tire testing. Okay. And that's just something that NASCAR and Goodyear has. So when they do the tire test, they get all the data for us, and they send us the data and say, hey, this is what the tire did at the test. Now you know how to run it on your sim next time you go back. Okay. All right. So on, uh, let's say that you've just arrived at Michigan, and it's, you know, the weekend, and you're, what do you, what's, what do, you do? Give us a, a you know, like you, I know you are allowed a certain number of tires each different race. You don't always yeah. get the same number of tires, right? Yeah. So NASCAR in their rule book has a tire allocation sheet and they update that throughout the year. And it tells us how many tires we're allowed to have for practice qualifying and race and how many we have to turn in. And that's every weekend based on what the schedule is and what, how long the race is. And it's, like the enhanced schedules that we did last year where we had two-day shows, those had different amounts of tires because stuff carried over. We don't know if they're going to continue on with the enhanced schedule because it was hard on the NASCAR officials and it was hard on us because we'd show up at the track and have a 17-hour day and have to come back and have another 12-hour day. So it's they compacted into two days, but we were putting three days worth of work into those two days. Right. So there's been some discussion of whether or not they're going to keep that just because it was harder on all the employees to be doing that shortened schedule. Okay. So I to the track, first thing I do is I find my tires because we have practice tires that they give us as soon as the garage opens on Friday, and they're in a big pile. All of our tire carts are sitting with them, so you'll see French all the tire people kind of herd into one direction. Everyone else goes to their trucks. Well, we get our tires, and we go pick out wherever we're going to work for the weekend, and it's like we all kind of stake our claim on a spot. And that's our spot for the weekend. We'll work there all weekend long. So once I get all my tires, I get my first start set that the guys are going to start practice on. I already have them pre-typed into a computer, and I know roughly what they're going to start on. So I'll get those measured and 
set and ready for them and get them to the car within the first 20 minutes just so they can roll through tech on that set because it's more accurate for height purposes to have something that we're using that weekend compared to using setup tires that are a couple months older. They're a little bit stiffer. They don't squish the same when it's sitting on heights. So we always try to roll on whatever that weekend's tire is. Okay. So that's usually the first thing I do. From there, I start measuring the rest of my tires. I get the, I write down the shift code and the date on them and then the mold. Each tire is made different shift, different mold, different date. So we compile that in case there's a problem with one tire or there's a batch of tires that's a problem. We can look at our sheet and say, all right, this one was made in that batch. Maybe we need to look at it because they also have serial numbers on all the tires, but that's not necessarily the order that they're made. That's the order they pull them out of the oven. Okay. So there's a lot of different numbers and codes on each tire that we have to document just so we have it on our files. And then I'll get the tread wears off of them. I'll measure the stagger and mark all the wheel weights. And I do that for all four sets, which is what we typically will get on a, for a practice qualifying for the weekend. I get all those typed in. I get them in sets. My crew chief, my engineer approves them. From there I go and get them set and have them ready to go for practice. And then once practice starts, we're, depending on what we're doing, we'll either be mocking up the whole practice. I'll use two to three sets. And then we'll just kind of, I constantly am checking the tires, making sure that they're at the right pressures. Every time the car comes in during practice, I'm checking the pressure in them. And that's my typical Friday to Saturday. And normally after qualifying, they release our race sets, which can range from eight sets to 17 sets, depending on the weekend. Like the Coke 600, I believe we get 16 sets of tires for a race. So as soon as qualifying's over, I have to move all of those wherever I'm working, whether I'm staying at Goodyear or I'm moving closer to my truck and my car. And starting Saturday morning, I've got my practice stuff. I have to clean up, set the pressures in, get them in the right location for practice, get the start set to the car. And then in between that, I'm working on all my race sets, getting them measured and marked and all the data wrote down on those. And by the end of Saturday, I've, all my practice stuff is back at Goodyear getting scrapped. And all my race stuff is in sets with the pressures close so that on Sunday morning I can just quick check them and send them out to pit road. And then I won't see them again until the race starts. Okay. So during the race, what would be your job? It's still tires. Yeah. I, they constantly are changing air pressure based on how the car is handling. And with the way that the pit box sit, none of them sit directly in the sun on both sides. So I constantly have to be checking the tires and make sure that one's not getting too hot, one's not getting cold, that the air pressures are consistent. And so I'm doing that in between pit stops. And once the pit stop happens, I check the air pressure when they come off the car. Then we check the wares on them, we check the temperatures on them, we get all the info off of them, and then I have them sent back to Goodyear to get scrapped. And then I get the next two sets ready. So yeah. I'm constantly doing laps around my pit box. Yeah, I've watched you. I stood above you at Michigan, above your pit box, and I watched you, the Michigan race, and you really don't even have time to take a drink of water most of the time. I mean, you're <laughs> constantly moving. Where I see some of the other, you know, like the tire changers, uh, they, they basically, yeah, they're ready for the next pit stop. Yeah. And then they're ready for the next pit stop. They, they're not constantly working, you know, which, um, so it was interesting because again, as a race fan and a, I don't, 
you don't see any of that unless you're in the pit area where you can actually watch somebody on a pit crew. And I know when my husband and I went to Charlotte, we were able to sit in one of those infield suites and the and Dale Jr.'s pit box was right in front of us. Couldn't have had a better pit box unless it had been Kyle <laughs> Busch. <laughs> no offense, Liz. You know I'm a Busch fan. Yeah. But anyway, um, but it was so interesting. It was the first time I'd ever seen a pit stop from the back and what yeah. they do behind to get ready. And then, you know, they're so, and you too, so athletic. And I've learned since that a lot of these people come from, um, you know, college football players, college soccer players, yes. college, whatever kind of players, because they're in shape, they know how to stay in condition. And they, that's where a lot of these people come from. Am I right about that? Yes, my entire pit crew that we get from Hendrick, they are all football players from college. And then I have one that was a wrestler in college. But Hendrick specifically goes after the college athletes because they're more physically fit and they can be taught to do whatever they need. Right. So it's easier for Hendrick to find a guy that's already in shape and knows how to take care of his body than try and groom a guy that doesn't have those habits. Like most college athletes have spent their whole life very strict on workouts and diets and everything else. So it's been more of a Hendrick realized, hey, these guys are a better shot because we don't have to worry about them. They know they want to be in shape. Exactly. And they understand the competition level as well. Right. So I know you probably know there's, there's two girls, Brianna and Brianna, I think, are both. And um, I interviewed one of them. I can't remember now which one. Sorry. But um, she was a college athlete, and she, when we did her interview, she talked about the things that she had to go through and to be chosen and, and that. And it's a pretty rigorous procedure yes. to be chosen. And, you know, for those two gals to make it to NASCAR and Xfinity and wherever they're at, pretty big deal because it's mostly guys, football players, wrestlers, yeah, that, that yeah. type of athlete. Yeah, because I changed tires a couple years ago, and when I was changing, I was about the only female that was on the cup side of it, and it's a very grueling process on your body. I was also a mechanic, so I was wide open, never had a day off, because I would I would work out four days a week just to maintain being able to do tires and change tires, and I was also doing pit practice twice a week, mm -hmm. so I was constantly going, and it's just a part of you have to condition your body like I didn't play college sports because I went straight into vocational school but I also played soccer my entire life so I played very competitive soccer from the time I was four until the time I was 18 so I still had that same kind of background of it and that's what they look for in pit crew people is a athletic background because of the coordination and because of the physical fitness that it takes to be able to do it and like you said the diet and the, the dedication because the athletes have to be 100% dedicated to stay in shape. Same yep. as for those, those guys that are guys and gals that are in the, on the pit crews. So, you know, I, as we're talking, it's just so many opportunities for these gals that I'm talking to, women, to be involved in motorsports and really have an impact on a team's success by being on the pit crew, being the tire specialist, being the marketing person. Um, mm -hmm. it, it takes all of them to make that team successful. 
It is also athletic trainers too. If there's uh, girls and women out there that are on that would be more nice in the athletic side of it. Ortho Carolina handles 90% of the NASCAR teams and one of their head athletic trainers is a woman and she's been doing this for 15 years and she handles like all the Roush guys. She handled uh, my former pit crew when we had one that was in house. She handles all the petty guys and whenever like they have a muscle problem or pain, like whenever I have a problem with my wrist or my arm, we go to her and she can work out the muscles or she can get us to get an MRI and you don't see that as much, but anytime any of the pit crew guys or someone gets hurt on pit road, they're one of the first ones there. They go to InfoCare with them. They coordinate all of their injury relief. Like if someone gets hit by a car and they blow their knee out, Ortho Carolina is the one that's actually involved in making sure that they get the proper care they need and they get them back in shape and back to the track. And there's a lot of women that do that. Every team has an athletic trainer and 90% of them are women. Wow. So that's another really good avenue to go down for women to be involved in motorsports. Yeah. Very cool. See, I'm learning. I've learned probably more from you, singly from you, since I've met you about the behind the scenes than any other single person that I've ever talked to. You, you have so much knowledge about all this and so gladly that, that you share it with us. But I've, you know, and, and like the sponsorships, I learned so much from you about how sponsorships work and um, Kroger's your big sponsor. I know, but (laughs) Scott towels, all these bush beans. I can't remember what other your what's your other um, wraps have been. Yeah, we've got Scott's, Kleenex, and Bushes are bigger ones, and then we have Naturalite does our Vegas race typically. We have a couple different other ones like Healthy Choice, Maxwell Max Coffee, Sara Lee's, a couple of them, Cheerios. And yeah. a lot of those do come from Kroger, but the Scots and the Bush Beans, those are two separate ones that they kind of work together with Kroger and part of our partnership. Right. So that's a, that probably just the sponsorship end of it is probably a whole nother interview, really. I'd yeah, love, we have I'd, an entire department dedicated just to marketing. I think there's six girls that handled that department alone, along with Tad. Tad's one of our owners, and he's more of the marketing side of things. Jody's more of the HR people side of things. Okay. And those are the two, owner, two main owners. Okay. We need, we need to do a little interview with some of those gals that do the sponsorship for the cars. I think that'd be really interesting to people to learn. I think I, I had a lady tell me she's a marketing person for a team. It's about a half a million dollars a race. Depending on the team, Yes. <laughs> Yeah, depending on the team. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's got one of the higher, one of the probably more settled teams that probably have more money invested than some of the smaller teams. But, you know, when you think about that, a half a million dollars, let's just say it is a half a million dollars, and you go out and you get wrecked on the sixth lap. It's like throwing that money in the trash can and burning it. And it's yeah, and usually yeah. when that happens, we'll keep the pit box up until the sponsors get bored and leave, just because we want the sponsor to have that opportunity. Like what Kroger does with us is we have motorhomes at the track that Kroger goes to, so they can hang out on pit road or they can hang out at the motorhome or they cycle them depending on how many people we have each weekend. Because some weekends we have can have upwards of a hundred guests between the two cars. Wow! So we have we bring extra people in and they kind of rotate them around between the pit box, motorhome 
the suites just so that they get a full experience. Okay. See, so that's, yeah, we're going to have, we're going to have to connect to some of those women, Liz, you and we'll talk about that at PRI. So PRI is coming up next week. I'm so excited. You're going to be one of our autograph sessions. I'm excited about that, but let's talk about your clothing. So you founded Torqued Clothing. Yes. And you're going to have some samples in our booth, right? Yes. I'm going to have, I'll actually should have all of my pants. Nice. at the screen printer right now getting the logos put on them. So hopefully I should have about 50 pairs of pants with me as well. Okay. And that will be the first time anyone's even had access to those pants. Like they literally got shipped to my house on Monday. Okay. Cool. So it's very exciting that they're finally here and I finally have a production run of them. It's not the full run because Bronx has been hit, hit, hit with some pretty bad weather. Yeah. So the factory's been having a hard time kind of staying up on it, but they were able to get me 50 pairs of pants so that I could have them to bring with me to the show. And then I'll have all of my shirts. And then I've got a new shirt that no one's seen yet that I'm picking up later. It's actually hoodies that okay. haven't even been posted on the website yet that I will have at the show. All right. Awesome. So we're going to be in booth 7127. Liz is going to have her stuff in our booth. We're going to have a spot for her there. And then are you going to have them anywhere else or what else are you going to be doing with your clothing that weekend? I don't know if I'm going to necessarily be able to have them anywhere else just because it's been really hard trying to coordinate with another shop that can work after hours with me. But if there's people that want to come try them on, want to see them, all they have to do is email me and or go on Facebook, go on Instagram and message me and I can arrange where I can come meet them somewhere if they aren't going to be at the show where I can show them, all right, this is what we got. You want to try this on. I'm going to have a portable pop-up tent where they can try things on. Okay. That way they're able to actually try them on and make sure that they fit the way that they want. Awesome. I, I think our booth is, we're on the end, right out by registration. So when you go in the main doors of registration, there's booths all along the outside. We're on the left side on the end. And I, if I remember correctly, there's some restrooms not far, which would also be a good place for people if they wanted to try yeah. on or whatever to help. But um, I'm excited to be able to help you with that and, and get it out where people can see it, touch it, feel it, try it on. And, yeah. and I know you've been working a long time trying to get this going and getting those pants here and getting all those shirts. Yeah. So we're it's been about a year and a half process just to get to the pants being in my hands. Right. I know. I, I know you've worked hard at it and I'm excited that we're going to be able to help you do that. That's, that's part of what we do. We want to encourage women to be entrepreneurs. We want to encourage women to be involved in motorsports in whatever area they want to be involved in. Um, whether it be clothing like you or, you know, I, I love the interview piece. I love the magazine piece. I'm more the media graphic kind of person. Yeah. Um, and I love meeting people. I love telling their stories and I'm so excited about PRI. I've got some amazing women along with you that are going to be doing autographs. I'm waiting to hear back from a couple more that are harder to get scheduled because they have so many people demanding on their time, yeah. but it's a great show for people to meet you in person, talk to you about what you do. Um, find out about your clothing and it's, it's great for you too, because then they'll see you, um, maybe in Chicago or Michigan or Charlotte be like, Hey Liz, I met you at the PRI show develops a bond. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have a lot of guys that I work with now that didn't even know about it because 
usually when I'm at the track, I'm so busy. I don't really talk about the clothing line unless it's like my guys I work with every day. But like my pit crew guys, yesterday one of them was like, I didn't know you had a clothing line. I was like, well, yeah. He's like, yeah, I saw it online. That's when I figured it out. But I'm usually so busy that it's hard for me to be able to go into full detail when I'm doing tires when people ask about it, but the more that people can see it, the more it gets out there, the more people will know, hey, this is what it is. This is the website to go to. Right. And then you can always reach me on Facebook and Instagram. Sometimes it might take me a little bit to answer if I'm at the track, but yeah. I'm always really good about answering messages. You are very good about answering messages. I, I'll attest to that. So tell what else? Tell me anything I haven't asked you about. Is there anything else that you feel like parents should know or girls should know about what it takes to get really, you know, you're pretty high up there in, uh, you're on a NASCAR team. You couldn't really ask for much better, I, I would think, unless you're, uh, you know, on a championship team. That would be really cool. But, you know, Chris Buescher does better every, you know, all the time. Every year he gets better. And it's, um, it's fun to watch him race and know that you're part of, of getting him on the track. And that obviously the tires are a huge part of that yeah. so what else would you like to share or have we not talked about that you think is important I want girls to know that they can start at the bottom and work their way up and they don't need to be right away at the top like that's the things that I've told other girls in their garage like they'll ask me hey can I go straight to cut from trucks I'm like you're on a back running truck team you don't have the experience or the knowledge to walk into a cup shop and say that you need to be there. It's like, you need to learn as much as you can on the lower level. That way, when you do get to the high level, you don't make mistakes. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you need to be doing. You know everything you need. And it sometimes that's that people think right away, oh, I want to go to the top. You need to work on yourself and make sure you know what you're doing before you get there. Because the biggest mistake you can make is rushing into something and then failing at it and hurting your reputation because in the garage, everything is about what you know and who you know. And if everyone knows, well, they went to this team and then, you know, they had a tire fall off the car it, or they dropped the car off the jack. It's like stuff like that sticks with you. So you need to make sure that you know what you need before you get to that point. That way you don't make the mistakes and that yeah, they always need to ignore comments. And that's in life. That's, yeah. I don't care what job you want to go to, you know, you're a millennial. I mean, how old are you, Liz? 29. 29. So, you know, you're a millennial and no offense against the generation because they're so much, they've got so much going for them. But the, but the other side of that, and I think you'd agree because you just spoke about it. They get out of college or they get out of whatever and they, they think they're going to go to the top. And, yeah. and that is not going to happen. I don't care what industry you're in, unless you're a very exceptional person with a lot of qualities that, you know, are not the norm. Most of the time you're going to start out entry level. I don't care what kind of degree you have behind your name, because what they teach you in college or vocational school isn't always everything you need to know. Yeah. Right? It's a good fundamentals and a good basis. But you need to build yourself from there. They don't, no college is going to tell you, all right, you can go work on a cup team with what I'm teaching you. It's no, this is where you start and you learn from at the bottom. If you're going to make mistakes, make it on a truck team where it's not as big of a deal. But if you're on the cup side 
and you put the wrong air in the tire, you put the tires in the wrong spot, that could be a catastrophic failure, especially if the tires end up on the wrong side of the car. The right side tires are bigger than the left sides. So if they're on the wrong side of the car, it goes straight to the wall. And right. that's not something you want. No. And, you know, we just, we just watched a NASCAR championship race. And some of the reasons why one, why Joey Logano won over somebody else is because of pit failures, crew, pit crew failures. And, and, you know, um, the one guy got the cord, the, um, when he was putting the tires on, he got the cord caught on the fender and, uh, you know, stuff happens. It's not that it was a tire failure. It's just, you've got to practice that over and over and over and over and over to know that it's, it's automatic. You don't have to think about yeah. it. You don't start at the cup level learning that. You start at maybe ARCA or maybe even lower than that, a lower division. Yeah. Maybe it's a JEGS team or something. Um, yeah, there's the K&N series. You've got K&N East and West. You've got the ARCA series. Truck series is a good starter, too, with some of the back truck teams because they don't have the necessary people or funding to have a huge team. So you can learn how to work on every aspect of the truck while you're working there. Right. And that's what exactly. they need to do is they just need to learn everything. Like one thing that makes me valuable to when people look at me is I can do anything from being in the body shop to fabricating the car to decaling it all the way to putting suspension on it. So I can cover every aspect and I can go help do marketing stuff just because I have that background with my mom being an accountant. I know all the computer side of stuff. So they can use me on different aspects. And that's something that people are looking at me and they're like, hey, you're more useful to us because you can do this. This tire person can't do any of that. Right. Right. So being well-rounded is also important. Yes. It's not, it's not being, you know, being laser focused is good, but you also have to be able to be well-rounded. And so, yeah. you know, that's, that's another good lesson, you know, take an accounting class, take a um, marketing class, even if you want to be, even if you're an engineer, it doesn't hurt to know how the other side works or, or how your coworkers, what they have to do. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really good advice. Anything else you can think of? And they need to ignore all the comments that people may make. There's still a lot of old school people out there that don't think women should be in racing or should be in the garage. And you just need to ignore those comments and prove to them that you deserve to be there. I know it can be hard at times to always have to prove yourself, but that's just a part of being a woman in a male-dominated sport is you have to make people know who you are and they have to see you deserve to be there. Otherwise, they're just going to be like, well, who's this person? Are they here for media? Because there has been women in the past that have came into racing just for the media attention, and they don't last long. They last three to six months, and then they're gone because all they wanted was the media. And as soon as people caught on to the fact they don't want to learn about the cards. They don't want to learn about any of this stuff. Then why are we going to waste our time with them? So you have to show people you want to be there. You don't care about the cameras. You don't care about the attention. You want to work and you want to do your job. Right. Because Liz, you've been, you've been in, uh, interviewed and on other things, right? Yeah. I've yeah. been on race hub several times and I've done a lot of interviews within our team and within other companies. But for me, it's always the work. It's yeah. Like I always tell our marketing people when they say, Hey, can you come do this? I said, you might be walking next to the car with me. It's like, you know, my car is my priority. So they might have to be standing there while I'm flipping tires around and while I'm stacking tires talking to me. But as long as they're okay with that, then that's fine with me. Right. Right. Because even, you know, I, I try to always make a point to stop by and say hello when I'm at a race. 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know you're busy and I try not to get in the way or interfere with what you're doing. More or less just say, hey, Liz, good to see you, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, you're, you're usually always doing something. You're busy. It's about your job. It's not, yeah. oh, how many people can I impress that I'm a tire specialist? Yeah. You're not that kind of gal. You're more about getting down and doing the work and then when we get the chance we like to promote what you're doing and and what you've made out of your career because you are one of the few and you are a good example for other young women not only how you live your life but how you've earned to be where you are and I say earned because you you didn't get it because you're the daughter of somebody or yeah. because you had more money than somebody. You did it because you worked hard and you worked your way up. And it, and it took you a few years to do it. But now you're there. And so, yeah, yeah that's, that's the way it has to be if you want to be successful. Yeah, the ones that are the kid of someone, or they usually have to work 10 times harder because everyone's like, you're just his kid. That's why you got it. So they don't give them any credit. Like for me, I go in there and they're like, you know, you work harder than anyone else. We, we know you cause we see you working at the track and we're always working and yeah. you're not slacking off and they know that I can go work on the car. So it's usually, I finish my tires, I go to the car and I clean the car or I help them do this or I help them do that. And people see that. And that's a lot of it is you have to show why you're working that that's what you want to do. I can't tell you how many people know me just because they see me working all the time. And it's like, I don't know who they are, but they're like, Oh yeah, I see you working all the time. You're, I saw you doing this. I saw you doing that. I didn't know you could. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I can do everything. I've made it that way. Right. And you know, we have to give your parents a lot of credit really yes. because they've taught you that work ethic, haven't they? Yes. And they let me move 2000 miles away without much complaint. Yeah. I am very good about FaceTiming them and I call them every week and I, we try to stay in contact as much as possible. We text all the time just because I'm the youngest daughter and I moved about 2,200 miles away from them right after I turned 18. Yeah. And they've been very supportive with my career and it, they're always there whenever I need anything. So it, that's a lot of it is having that support system I have, even though they might not necessarily be in North Carolina with me, I can still call them anytime I want. Same thing with both my sisters. They're both very supportive of my career and my clothing line and doing anything they can to help me. Yeah, absolutely. So do they, I know that they come to Sonoma, I think you told me, yeah. because of course that's close. And Vegas isn't that far. Did they come to Vegas? Yeah, Vegas is their normal one. That was, the, from the time I was 13 on, Vegas was our go-to, because we, once we did Fontana, we were like, eh, you know, Fontana's okay, but we didn't like it as much, so we started going to Vegas. So Vegas was our normal. We'd go twice a year to the Vegas races. So that's like a second home for me just because I grew up going to that race all the time. So they'll always come to the Vegas ones. And they did come to the Roval this year with me mostly because my cousin got married the Saturday of that weekend in Tennessee. And I actually flew out Friday night to Tennessee was in the wedding on Saturday. Then my parents drove me home Saturday night so I could be at the track on Sunday. So I only missed one day at the track just so I could be in my cousin's wedding. Nice. So what happens, I mean, I, obviously you're not the only person that can do tires because what if you got sick or something? But um, so you have, you have other people on your team that if something like that happens, you can take that day and do something personal if you really have to. And you have others that can do your tires. 
Sometimes, like, mine was a, like, nine-month process because we didn't really have another tire person in our shop. So one of our setup guys went, and he we kind of had him do the bare minimums because he wasn't really a tire guy. So I was like, all right, this is the set order you're going to put him on the car, and then this is what you're going to do with the air pressure. I said, you just got to check him. Just don't worry about the race sets. You know, I'll handle that. So it's like it took nine months for us to coordinate me missing that one day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that because it's very, they don't call you a tire specialist for nothing. You're special at what you do yeah. and not everybody does it, but um, life has to go on too, you know, yeah. and, uh, and you've got family and, and that. So that's, that's cool. I'd like to have gone to the Roval. It, it had such a hype and it was a good race, but um, I, I didn't get there obviously, but that would yeah. have been one of the ones I would like to have gone to. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Liz, you're amazing. I just think the world of you. I'm so glad we connected and that we have what I call a friendship, I think. Um, yes. any, anything else that you want to share with us before we hang up here? I think just that the girls need to know that they can do anything they set their mind to. They just can't let people control them or tell them what they do or what they can and can't do. They need to be able to defy the odds and do what they want with their lives. They're in complete control over what they do with their lives and no one else is. Yeah. Good, good advice. Absolutely good advice. So awesome. Well, Liz, I'm going to see you next week. This is, yes. yeah, it's, it's wow. December. I don't, I mean, my November was messed up, but even at that, um, December has gotten here way quicker. I've, I've got a whole corner in my house full of, shirts and giveaways and all all the yeah. things I just keep piling the stuff in the corner every time I think of something I have to take to PRI and uh, my husband's going to be glad when I load it in the car and it's not sitting in the in the corner by the front door but um I'm really excited about PRI this year we're going to have a great booth great autograph sessions with you and and a lot of other amazing women all age women all from different countries, all different kinds of racing. So it's going to be so fun and uh, get to hang out and help you promote your clothing line. So that's exciting too. So um, I'll see you next week, Liz. Thank you so much for taking time. Thank and, you for having me. And doing this. I, you're, you're, like I said, I've learned more from you about the background that goes on in NASCAR than anybody else I've talked to. So I appreciate that. You've taught me well. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll see you next week and, and have a good weekend. And uh, here we go to PRI. Let's sell all 50 of those pants. Yes. <laughs> all right. I'll talk to you soon.